0: Thank you, praise team. Kindergarten through third grade, you guys are dismissed to head downstairs for junior church. It's my pleasure and honor to be with you guys here for the next three weeks. Paul's out this week, and then um, in two weeks he's getting his wisdom teeth out, so I'm filling in from there. So I figured, you know what? I asked him, I was like, can I just take three weeks? It makes it a little bit easier for me, but... We're going to be, if you would take your Bibles, we're going to be looking at a very particular subject over the next three weeks. I call this sermon series, The Work of Resting. Today we're going to be looking at the theology of rest. And there's a couple reasons to why we're going to be doing this subject. A couple weeks ago, I was finishing up lunch at home with my family. As I normally do, I head home just for a little bit in the afternoon to grab lunch. Uh, And then one of my main things that I try to do... Before I head back up usually to the office is to get the kids down for what me and my wife call rest time or our quiet time. As a parent, I'm sure many of you guys understand that idea, right? You just need a little break in the afternoon. As I was getting V ready and I asked him to head up to his room to get ready for rest time, he turned around and looked at me and simply said, Hey, I I don't need rest time. I'm still good to go. I'm not tired at all, Dad. This caught me because as a parent, there are some obvious times when you have kids that you just know they need a nap, right? It starts to show both in their attitude and in kind of their whining and complaining. Also, you can see it usually underneath their eyes. It's pretty obvious. It was obvious to me at this point that V needed a nap, but he was blind to his own tiredness, to his own exhaustion. He was kind of blind to what his body was trying to signal to him that, yes, you do need rest. But it got me thinking that V is just a good illustration of each and every one of us. Because to be honest, we strive and we move and we go. And sometimes we do this without thinking about, do I need to take some time to rest? And I'm not just talking about sleeping, though sleeping is definitely a part of this subject. And we'll get into that next week. There's something bigger going on, especially in all of us. There's a desire to move and to keep going and keep doing and keep achieving and keep providing for ourselves. And breaks, times of rest seem out of place until we get to the point of pure exhaustion and we crash and we burn out. But there has to be something more than that because that certainly doesn't look like it's from God. So a few months ago, Paul went through the Ten Commandments, and he talked about the idea of Sabbath briefly. talked about a day to God. Then down at college and seminary back in May, we discussed this of what it looks like for ourselves in ministry and our spiritual walk for Christ. So I was like, you know what? Okay, I get three weeks. I want to flush this idea, this concept out. So over the next three weeks on Sunday mornings, we're going to flush out this concept of rest, what it looks like for Christians to apply it to our lives what the Bible has to say about it, and then the last week we're going to talk about rest from distractions. Sunday nights, we're also going to talk about that, so if you want to come out and dive more into this subject, I'll encourage you to come out Sunday nights at 6. We'll talk more about this idea. But before we get into the theology and what the Bible actually says about rest, what I want to simply ask you is, how many of you guys can relate to some of these words that are up on the screen? On your handout, you're going to see a list of words. I'm going to encourage you to do that this week. You can use that extra space because we are going to go through those verses here in a little bit. But there are some other things to read through on that sheet. This is one that I want you to think about with me just right now. How many of you can relate to some of these words that are up there? Let's start with the word busy. How many of you guys can relate to that word? People ask you, how are you doing? And you reply, I'm busy, right? Because there's things that always seem to be going on, whether it be with our job. Whether it be with ministry, whether it be with our family, maybe, maybe extended family, maybe it's friends, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's just personally, I'm dealing with stuff and I'm just busy, I keep going. How about tired? How many of you guys can relate to that word? Yeah, if you're a parent in here, you absolutely know that word, right? You're tired, you're just exhausted, things have been going on and on and on and you're just running low on energy. How about anxious? How I many of you guys feel anxious? especially after this last two weeks listening to the news, right? It gets you a little on edge, a little fearful. You're not sure what's going to happen. How about rushed? How many of you guys feel rushed sometimes? I will admit Sundays seem rushed to me because we've got three and a half hours with you guys, and there's so much that we prep all week long to fit into these hours. And we try to put and put and put. Sometimes it just comes across rushed. I don't know if you feel that way in life. You just feel like, oh, okay, I've got a project. I've got to get it done in three days. That's not a whole lot of time. And this project has to be done. We're rushed, right? How about exhausted? You just feel exhausted. You're tired. You're running on empty. How about dry? A few months ago, I talked about Jeremiah and we talked about the tree that was planted in the desert. It was yearning for water, but all it got was salt. There was nothing good. Guys, sometimes we just feel like that, even with Our spiritual walks, right? We feel dry. We feel empty. There's nothing really going on. We don't really see God work. We don't really feel change. That can easily lead into this next word, depression or depressed. I'm sure all of us have probably been there. Some of us may be there right now. You feel like things are just so overwhelming over your head. You're exhausted emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually, and that leads you to this place. You just can't keep doing this. Something's got to change, which can also lead to this next word, breaking. I joked around about it this morning with parents. You get this, right? Your kids, they try you and try you and try you, and you're just getting to that point about to snap, right? We get that in the rest of our life, though, too. Work keeps piling on and on and on, and something's eventually going to give. We can't maintain underneath the pressure anymore, and so we're about to break. To be honest, if we all look at ourselves, I'm sure we can find ourselves in all of these words at some point or another. God doesn't want us to be there. He doesn't want us to be under these words or be related to these words. And we're going to see that today. God wants us to find rest. And rest is the answer to a lot of these key words up here. He desires us to pause stop to stop doing to focus on him but let's let's check and see what the bible has to say about that we are going to fly through these verses so the reason for the handout is there's no way i could spend enough time on all these verses today alone or over the next three weeks to be honest so what i want you to do is when you go home after today use this look these verses up read the context of these verses. Highlight the word rest or Sabbath. You're going to see that in, and I'll point that out here in a minute. But go through some of these. You could do a Google search if you really want for the word rest and Sabbath in the Bible, and you'll get a huge long list. But see for yourselves about these words. We're going to fly through this. Are you ready? Okay, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. You guys already know the context of this. Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth in six days. And he ends chapter 1 with, everything is very good. Chapter 2 starts it off by saying, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. On the seventh day God finished from his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. What we see right off bat within scripture is that God creates, he works for six days, he completes his work, and on the seventh day he rests. Or the word is Sabbath. He breaks. Because creation is done. Now we usually think of this idea of rest as a break from some real heavy labor because we're tired, we're exhausted, we just can't keep going. In this case, it's completely different, especially right off at the beginning of the Bible. God rests, but it's not because he's tired. It's not because he's exhausted. Because he's all-powerful. Speaking creation into existence is nothing for him. This is easy. But there's something interesting within this passage. One, he creates the world in six days, but on the seventh, he stops. He rests. Not only because his work of creation is finished, but because of two reasons. One, he sets an example for us. In the early service, they got that right off bat. Janet answered real quick with that. She knew what it was. We're going to see in the following verses up here on the screen that it becomes an example for us. God worked, he created, he completed his work in six days, and then he rested. But then the second one is this. What does it mean for God to rest there? What did he stop doing? And what did he do instead? Did he just break from work and that's all that word simply means? The answer is no. Think about this. We're coming off the context of everything is created very good, heaven and earth. All of the hosts within them are completed perfect. When he takes his day of rest, what is happening within creation? What was creation created for? If you go to Colossians, you can figure that one out pretty easily. Everything that's created, everything that exists, exists to give God glory and honor and praise so what do you think on the seventh day was happening? He rested and the whole world was doing what? You can speak, it's okay. Worshiping him, giving him the glory, the honor, it deserves. creation was working the way God created it too. He didn't have to add anything else. He didn't have to bring anything else into existence. He was done, he completed his work and on the seventh He enjoyed his work, the way it was supposed to work. Creation offers him praise. How do I know that? He blesses the seventh day. It's completely different. It's whole. It's unique. All of creation is praising him. So God enjoys his work the way it was created to function. But also notice one other thing here at the very beginning, and this is a great passage just to start this whole study off on. Rest happens in the perfect created world. But it's not creation that's resting. It's our divine creator resting. Setting up that rest exists within God's perfect creation. Which is unique because we're going to see that in the upcoming verses. So let's jump over to Exodus 16.23. I'll give you a little bit of the context as you're turning there. Israel has been wandering in the desert. This is right after the Red Sea. They're running short on food. They ask God for food, or more like complain to God for food. God says, I have the answer. Here you go. You're going to get manna. By the way, there's some stipulations about this. I will provide the food that you need each and every day, except for the seventh day. You're going to gather twice as much on the sixth day. And this is what Moses tells the people. This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath or a holy rest, a separate rest to the Lord. So bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and all that is left over, lay aside and keep till the morning. What's interesting is in the following verses, Israel goes out to gather food on the seventh day. And there is none. What's unique about this passage here, and I don't have time to explain everything in this, but there's two things that I think jump out at me as I studied this. Israel is asked to rest from gathering food for themselves on the seventh day. But God doesn't tell them not to without making a provision. No, instead, he says, no, I'll provide for your needs and give you the ability to do double beforehand. But prepare yourselves, because the next day you're resting to me. So God gives them a command to rest, but he makes the provision for them to rest. By saying, gather twice as much as the day before. This is one of the first places that we see the word Sabbath used as kind of an extra special day here for the people of Israel. The next one will be Exodus 28 through 11 where we get into the Ten Commandments. God tells the people and commands the people, if you're going to be my people, here's something you need to know. You're going to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Keep it separated from the rest of the days. And here's what he says. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your sons, your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, your livestock, or your sojourners within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy So here God's example from Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3, is used as the foundation for this command. God created the world in six days and rested. So he tells Israel, now you're going to work six days and rest on the seventh. What's interesting is, uh, as I study this, why aren't these commands flipped? Why does he say, for six days you shall labor and do all your work? Which he gives the people time to get things done. And then he says, for one day you're going to rest. Why not flip this around? Why not say, for six days you're going to rest to me? Oh, yeah, by the way, you get one day to work. Because it actually does show a little bit about God's creation on us. What I find is, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, when he places man in the garden, he gives man a command there, which is what? Tend my garden and keep it. That word tend is literally to work or to toil. Now, it was was a different kind of work. We'll be fair about that. Because when man falls, it becomes burdensome, hard. The ground is no longer going to respond to Adam. But yet, in the garden, we see that God purposes man to work, to keep his garden, to keep his creation, to tend, to steward it. Yet here, in Exodus... We see the command, guess what, you get to work six days. We know that God knows that we've got work to do. He says, do this in six days, do your work, but on the seventh, separate it. The first command in this command is to work, the second one is to rest to God. God had this planned for his people. We see a little bit more in Exodus Chapter 31, 16 through 17, he says, Therefore the people of Israel shall keep my Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout all their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he he rested and was refreshed. Exodus 31 adds a little bit more to our understanding of this word Sabbath, what the idea of this seventh day of rest was supposed to be. For Israel it was an outward sign that they were the people of God. This was one of 3 that are very actually stand out. Circumcision was another physical one. People would know that they were God's people through circumcision. This is the second through Sabbath. Through Sabbath, through resting. Why is he highlighting that this makes them separated or different than the other nations? How are they going to stand out as the people of God? Because the rest of the world continued to work and work and work and work and go. But here they were going to learn to rest. And why? Again, pulling from the example back in Genesis, God made the heavens and the earth in six days. On the seventh day he rested. Now it adds a key word in there, was refreshed. For how many of you guys, if you work out or if you've ever done a strenuous exercise, You know what this word means, because at the end of it, you're all done. You know you're finished, and you just take that deep sigh of relief that (sighs) there's nothing more that needs to be done. And That's what the author is trying to get here. God created his work. He was finished with his creation. He was done with it. When God rests, he's finished. Jump to Leviticus 23, 31 and 32. Leviticus 23, I'll encourage you to read this whole chapter. It's a great chapter. It's all about what we would call holidays for Israel. But they're Sabbath days, days of rest. that are supposed to be kept holy to the Lord. Many of them are quoted as, you shall not do any ordinary work. You get down to verses 31 and 32 on the Day of Atonement. This is where the priest would sacrifice for the people's sin. And it changes a little bit. He says, you shall not do any work. It's a statute forever throughout your generations and in all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath, a day of rest, and you shall afflict yourselves. This is a very interesting text. That word afflict can easily be translated into you shall deny yourselves. Deny ourselves from what? From working from continuing to go, go, go. See, this passage points out that it's our natural mode to work, to work for provisions for ourselves, to work to produce, to work for to meet our needs because of our sin. Yet on the Day of Atonement where sin was covered by the priest, pointing to something greater though down the road, it shows that no amount of work that we do could deal with our sins, that we need to rest in God making provision for it. So when God says, "Afflict yourselves and stop working," it's so that we are reminded we can't fix this issue. And he brings that to the minds of the Israelites. Let's jump to Matthew, to the New Testament, guys. There's a lot more in the Old Testament about Sabbath and rest, but for the sake of time, we got to keep moving. Matthew chapter 12, 1 through 12 and Mark 2:27 are the same story. I haven't separated up here. I think on your papers I have them together. Jesus and his disciples are passing through the field. The disciples are rubbing grain in their hands so that they can eat. The Pharisees see this. They criticize the disciples and they question Jesus saying, Oh, they're doing work on the Sabbath. This cannot be allowed. And Jesus responds to them that they don't know what they're talking about. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he tells them the Sabbath was not, or sorry, the Sabbath was made for man, and man was not made to Sabbath or made for the Sabbath. Then it goes on, they enter into the synagogues on that same day, a place of worship. There's a man with a withered hand. The Pharisees say, okay, then fine. Is it lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath? I could just imagine Jesus shaking his head at him. And he questions them. He says, okay, which one of you, if your sheep falls into a pit, won't rescue him on the Sabbath? Won't you show kindness to your own animal on the Sabbath? Then if you would, the question is, how much more valuable is this man than an animal? Jesus actually heals the man with the withered hand. And he responds, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus points out and reshapes the Pharisees' understandings for four points, I think. First off, Jesus is the master of the rest and the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the master or Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one over it all. Rest is not the ultimate focus, and it's not the ultimate master, guys. That's what the Pharisees did. They elevated rest to a divine level. It's a gift from God. It's not God itself. Second, or the third one is rest is given for our good. Jesus makes that clear. Rest was made for us to enjoy. The last one is what Jesus points out through his action here. There is a greater good to be done while resting. If you need to come out of a state of resting in order to show kindness, mercy, grace, love, do so. You can't cling to rest as the holy object. Then you jump down to Colossians 2 16 and 17. Paul makes it very clear when talking to the early church that there were some people passing judgment on people of food and drink, of festivals, of new moons, and of Sabbaths, of days of rest. And he says, Look, 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 look. Don't let them pass judgment. Don't, don't, don't be judging one another on these things. He goes, First off, you have to understand the Sabbaths, the new moons, the holidays, these days of rest, these things that are in there, they're shadows. They are not the main concern. The main concern is fulfilled in Christ. The substance is Christ. He says these things are just the minor things. So don't focus on those things. Focus on the main thing. Focus on Christ. Then when you get into Hebrews, and this is where we're going to end with our Bible study today. Hebrews 4, 8 through 11 The writer of Hebrews breaks it down for us in chapters 3 and 4 all about rest and where we can find true rest at. Israel in the wilderness did not get to enter into the promised land because they did not believe God, so they did not receive God's rest, is what he points out. And so David, in Psalms, quotes and says, Today, enter into God's rest. The author of Hebrews takes those passages and he says, Look, look, look. In verse 8, Joshua did not give people rest because David said there's a rest later on that they need to enter into. So what happens, verse 8, it's just simply a foreshadowing. There was something greater going to come. Joshua, that was a temporary rest. They got rest from wandering when they got to settle into the promised land. They were no longer in the desert. But that wasn't the true rest God was talking to these people about. Then he says in verse 9, So there still remains a Sabbath for the people of God. That word Sabbath in there is the only time it's ever used in the New Testament. In fact, it's coined really by the New Testament author here. Most scholars don't even know where this word comes from, but they know that it tends to relate to Sabbath holidays, to the Sabbath ritual of the Jewish custom. And The author goes from using rest to Sabbath, back to rest. Because why? He's pointing out Israel did not receive the ultimate rest yet. And then he goes on. He says, because why? How do I know that? Because when God rested, he rested from his works. And if we had entered into that rest, we'd be done from our works as well. Or let me rephrase that. Israel would be done from their works as well. Verse 11 is the conclusion to this whole passage, which is, therefore, let us strive to enter into that rest. And what the author says is, in verse 3, he goes back, he says, actually, we who believed in the gospel, who've heard the gospel, have believed, we've entered that rest already. Down here at verse 11, he says, let us strive with eagerness, with zealness to get into this rest. And what he's trying to talk to Christians about here is simply that our faith, will help us to stay in this rest, to find peace, to find true times to break from work, from working for ourselves, to rest in God. So there's two things that Hebrews 4 actually teaches us. First off, it teaches us that Christians, uh, for Christians, rest is solely found in Christ. It gives, gives us rest from our work just as God did from his. To apply rest to our life is to continually live in faith. We need to continually live out our faith in order to experience this rest continuously. The moment we try to take things into our own hands, we're no longer going to experience God's rest because that rest can only truly come from God. This isn't talking about salvation, though salvation is the ultimate fulfillment of that rest. This is true peace and stillness with God himself. It also teaches us this, that it makes it clear that rest is knowing that our work is done because God has done all that needs to be done. It's honestly one of the greatest pictures of salvation, I think. Because we don't contribute to salvation. We can't work our way into God's good graces. All of our righteous works, all of the good things that we could ever do are filthy rags in his sight. But the cool thing is God has provided the ultimate rest through Jesus Christ the Son. When we are at rest, it means that we are done working for our salvation and we know that we are at peace with God because of what Christ has done and that we are holding fast onto that truth. So that leads me to define what the word rest is, especially from the Bible. So here's how I I defined rest throughout my study. Rest is stopping from our hardships, or you could include the word labors there, and to purposely set aside time to give to God and to connect with God. Here's how this works. Rest is stopping from our hardships. Hebrews makes it clear we stop from trying to work for our salvation. In the Old Testament, it was literally a stopping of work. Even in the creation, it's God stopping in creation. Because why? He's finished. He's done. He's not going back to create or or create more. He's done. He's rested. The cool thing here is stopping from our hardships or our labors means that we give this all over to God. And then it's for a purposeful set-aside time. How does that look? Well, we're going to talk about why next week God included a day of rest and holidays for the Israelite people. There's real benefits to this. But that's not the only time that we see given to God. The fact of the matter is, when we put our trust in Christ, we give time to God, don't we? We say, God, I'm committing what? My next five minutes to you? Is that what we say? God, I commit my next five minutes to you. I'm saved, right? No, no, no. When we get saved, we're saying, God, I'm committing my life. Thank you, guys. Okay, life to God. When we die and when we go to spend eternity with God... Eternity is a time, is it not? It's set aside time to be with God or to give to God and to connect with him. That's what rest is. It's to take a step back and say, no, no, I don't need to keep going because God's in control. God will provide. God has provided. And I need to remember him. I need to focus more on him. I need to connect with him. I guarantee you, most of you guys, when you come to church, you think, okay, I'm giving three hours of my mind and my focus to who? Your friends? No, you don't come to church. Well, maybe you do. But here's the thing. You don't come solely for that reason, right? You say, I'm going to church, which is time to focus on God. So you kind of get this a little bit, but this is a little bit more extended than that. We'll talk about that next week, of how we live it out practically. But let's go through some principles and then some application for this week. Principle one, rest goes beyond a Sabbath and a day off of work. If you think that a day off is going to fix your issues, if you think a day off is going to fix your problems, if you think a day off is really what you need, I'm going to burst your bubble, it's not. It might give you some rest from work, So that you can recuperate your energy. But there's a much deeper longing that your body and your soul long for. Jesus makes this evident. When he says, come to me, you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Then he goes into, he says, take my yoke upon you. It's light. It's easy. I'm gentle. I'm lowly of heart. I'll give you rest for your souls. So he points out that there's more than just a physical rest. There's a real rest inside of us that we desperately need too. The second one here is that true rest is entered into and applied by faith in Christ. You could only truly find rest in Christ. There's no other place that is going to satisfy you, which thank you, Will, for that song earlier. More than enough, will we... Enter into God's rest, which leads into my next point. Is He enough to set? Sa- nope, sorry, that's going to be an application point. Jumping ahead there, sorry. More than enough. Is He more than enough for us? Rest is to end working for ourselves and for our salvation. That's the greatest rest we can stop. Because why? We're not contributing to it. I can't work my way into heaven. There's a lot of religions and a lot of people in the world who think they can. As Christians, we know. We do not. This is all done on God's behalf. He's done it all for us. And the last thing is rest must be pursued in faith and with effort. That's why I love that command in Hebrews 4. Let us strive to enter into that rest. Let us zealously chase after it, run after it. Like you're sprinting in a race for that finish line. Let us run toward it at full bursts of speed. It's so important to be in God. It's so important to be connected with God. And rest is just one blessing when you join the family of God that you receive. So let's talk about some uh, application. What do I want you to do this week? This week's sermon is theological, okay? I want you to think this week and ponder. First off, I want you to understand and recognize that you need more than just a day off, guys. Just one day off or two days off living for the weekend is not enough. It's never going to satisfy that. And you need to recognize that too. Because it's real easy to get in, man, just two, two, three days till Saturday, I can do that. That's not really going to fix all your issues. The second one is we must choose to enter God's rest through Christ. If you haven't done that, I'm going to highly encourage you, you make that a choice that you choose to do this week. You just All you have to do is talk to God. Say, God, yes, I've sinned, and I know I can't work my way to you. I know there's nothing I can do to please you, to earn my salvation. You've done it all for me. I ask for your forgiveness, and I want to be welcomed into your rest. That's where you need to start if you haven't been there yet. As Christians, we also need to admit, hey, God, I may have been going to other things to try to find rest in. And Lord, I know that after this week, I need to come back to you for it. The next one, we must be satisfied with resting in God. Because sometimes we try to add on to things. We get saved, but then we just say, well, maybe if I just, you know, do some more discipleship, do some more evangelism, God will love me just a little bit more. Maybe he'll be more appreciative of me a little bit more. Maybe I can contribute a little bit more to my salvation. That's not how this works. We need to be satisfied with resting in Christ, clinging to him, going back to him for our rest that we deeply need. And the last one is we must make an effort to learn to rest. It always brings me back to that Exodus passage. You shall do no work. This will be a solemn rest, a day of rest to me, to the Lord. You shall afflict yourselves. It's so weird to think about it that way. But guys, we want to work and work and work and make our own means. But stopping and resting means trusting that God will take care of us and I can give him my focus and my attention. It will take time to learn. Are you willing to learn that? That's going to be the real question that you have to ask yourself this week and deal with. Next week, we will talk about what it actually means to train to rest well. But I simply want to leave you with this question today as we close. Are you at rest in Christ? Or are you still working for yourself? Let's close in a word of prayer.